Before we begin, if you want to join our growing group of supporters and give $5, 10 or $20 a month to help make the show even better, you can sign up to the Harder Reports Patreon right now and get exclusive access to full unedited interviews with guests. That's the Harder Reports Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Harder Report. And now, today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Hardy Report. My name's Edward Hardy and for today's interview I'm joined by Representative Jim McGovern, the Chair of the House Rules Committee, the Co-Chair of the Congressional Executive Commission on China and the Co-Chair of the Tom Lentos Human Rights Commission. Representative McGovern, thank you for joining me. I'm happy to be with you. A focus of your career has been international human rights. It's something you've prided yourself on and, and really focused on throughout your career, advocating for individuals across the world from El Salvador to Tibet. And throughout that time that you've been working on this, the US has been seen for a long part of that as a leading figure on the world stage fighting for human rights, because that was what the White House made clear was a priority. But under the Trump administration, there are people now who believe the US is shirking that responsibility which is impacting the way other countries behave as well, realising they no longer have that US watchdog keeping an eye on what they're doing. Do you feel the current administration has failed in its duty to advocate for human rights? On what impact have you seen that having? Well, I do, uh, and I'm sad to say that. Uh, it's very, very disappointing to me. Uh, I've always believed that if the United States stands for anything, we need to stand out loud and four square for human rights. And... Um, and in Congress, I mean, thankfully, I mean, we, we still have a bipartisan coalition uh, that uh, comes together around uh, many human rights issues. But when the president of the United States uh, thinks of human rights as an afterthought, uh, when he's more interested in a business deal uh, than in uh, protecting people from persecution, um, it is it is uh, very, very disheartening. Uh, look, um, I believe that... Uh, that uh, you know that that we that you know, as as a signatory to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, we ought to live up to what we signed, uh, and um, and that we ought to uh, insist uh, that everybody's dignity uh, be respected and everybody's uh, everybody be everybody's rights be protected. Um, and I'm not just talking about halfway around the world. I'm also saying halfway down the block. I mean, I think we have to. I care about the human rights uh, in the United States as well as ever, everywhere else in the world. But when I see the President of the United States uh, kind of basically turn a blind eye to the terrible atrocities that are occurring, not just in China, but I mean in Saudi Arabia, where a Washington Post journalist was murdered and dismembered, uh, and the President basically uh, was an apologist. Uh, for the royal family that was responsible for giving the order so, so he could sell more weapons uh, to Saudi Arabia. I, I, I find that uh, unconscionable. So, uh, yeah, I, I am deeply disappointed uh, that the Trump administration has walked away from human rights, uh, and I think it has hurt our reputation around the world, uh, and I think it has given a green light to a lot of authoritarian leaders uh, to behave uh, in, uh, in, in very unfortunate ways. That issue of the Trump administration seeing everything as a business deal, a business transaction, 
was reflected in how early this year the Trump administration announced that it was loosening restrictions on the U.S. military's ability to use landmines, landmines which have been banned by more than 160 countries due to their history of killing and wounding civilians. How concerned were you by that move? Yeah, I mean, landmines are indiscriminate weapons. Uh, they they tend they kill civilians. They kill innocent bystanders. Um, you know, every once in a while that you'll read a story about you know somebody in Europe, um, you know, who was killed by a landmine that was planted during World War II. I mean, uh, you know, we have countries that have used landmines, and and then there have been mudslides and you know are, are, are tropical storms that have moved their location I mean they're very very they just they just they're one of the cruelest weapons that you can think of and I was you know when I was um, early on in Congress I, I was a strong advocate uh, along with Senator Leahy of Vermont to try to get the United States during the Clinton administration to sign on to the international uh, treaty to ban landmines now we, we didn't sign on to the treaty but under the Clinton administration we made a pledge that we were going to basically try to live up to what the treaty said and actually provided a lot of money for demining efforts all around the world. Um, and I, I never thought that there was any, you know, any objection to us trying to rid the world of landmines until Trump came in to power. And I, I mean, for the life of me, I don't understand this um, other than, you know, it might make some weapons uh, developer happy, but it, it just—it's cruel. I mean, we we ought to be leading the world in trying to, you know, uh, to, to to demilitarize. To I mean, we ought to be leading the world to ban not only weapons like uh, landmines, but we ought to be leading the world in trying to abolish uh, nuclear weapons. I mean, the idea that we have an administration that seems bent on doing the exact opposite. I mean, there's not a, a country in the world that Donald Trump doesn't want to arm, uh, and all he seems to want to do is brag about weapon sales. You know, I, I, that's not how you create stability. Um, you know, you create stability by dealing with issues like extreme poverty and hunger and, uh, and, 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 and human rights uh, abuses that are occurring in so many countries. I mean, trying to, trying to you know, to, to uphold those principles will do more to create a, a better world. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, as a citizen, as a United States congressman, I'm horrified by this administration um, and uh, and especially their insensitivity uh, toward the rights of, uh, of regular people. I know, obviously, the Trump administration, if Donald Trump was to get reelected in 2020, it's unlikely that action would occur on those points that you made there, for example, on the denuclearization issue. But if Joe Biden is successful in 2020, is that something that you would hope that a Democratic administration, a Democratic Senate, a Democratic House would be able to work towards? Absolutely. I mean, uh, look, um, you know, I, I have my differences with Vice President Biden, uh, but those differences, differences are minuscule compared to my differences with Donald Trump. And even where we have differences... Um, uh, I, I believe that at least I would have a, a, a chance of trying to persuade him uh, to move more in my direction. Uh, but, uh, you know, Vice President Biden, uh, when he was vice president, uh, you know, was, you know, a leader on, on human rights issues. Uh, and, um, you know, and I and I want a president who's a leader on human rights issues. I mean, I think this is this this, you know, I, I, 
standing up for human rights, I think, is, it defines who we are uh, as a nation. And walking away from human rights also defines who we are as a nation. And um, and I don't like, uh, you know, I don't like this administration's policies. And, and again, uh, turning a blind eye to some of the worst abuses uh, that you can imagine. I mean, again, I mentioned Saudi Arabia. I mean, you know, he... You know, he's, he has an on-again, off-again relationship with President Xi of China, but really doesn't talk about the situation with the Uyghurs or, or the Tibetans or, or the terrible situation now in Hong Kong. Uh, he seems enamored with Putin. Um, you know, he, he likes every strong man in the world um, and, uh, and I think kind of would like to be like them. Uh, but I think he's, he's doing great damage to the United States, um, and he's doing great damage to those human rights defenders all around the world who literally risk their lives every day standing up, uh, you know, for the principles that, uh, you know, of freedom and dignity and, uh, and justice. You touched on there about the issues when it comes to human rights that exist in China. So let's look at that for a minute. As I mentioned when discussing your career, you've advocated for human rights in Tibet. You've talked about how the Tom Lentos Human Rights Commission works for the release of prisoners of conscience around the world. One such prisoner that you've been a significant advocate for calling for the release of is the Panchen Lama, who was kidnapped by Chinese authorities when he was just six years old days after being selected as the Dalai Lama's ultimate replacement, he would now be 31 years old. For those that aren't fully familiar with the case that's gone on here, why did the Chinese government kidnap him in the first place and refuse to allow anyone to see him even to this day? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the Chinese government um, and let me let me say I, I, I distinguish between the Chinese government and the Chinese people I have great respect for the people of China um, it's the government uh, that I have a problem with but I think the government fears his holiness the Dalai Lama I don't quite understand why I've spent uh, many hours with his holiness I've visited him in Dharamsala um, I met met with him many times in Washington I mean he is a man of peace and justice um, and goodness um, and, um, I mean, what he wants is for his people to be able to practice their religion, uh, their language, their culture, their traditions. Um, and he has developed his third way of, of approaching the future, uh, which, you know, basically allows them some autonomy, but, you know, doesn't demand that there be a separate Tibetan country. Uh, but the, the Chinese government is obsessed and fearful of this elderly monk this man of peace. I mean, I don't get it. China's a big country, right? A, uh, you know, powerful military. I mean, military, and 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 yet they they are fearful uh, that this that this man, this good man, uh, is somehow a threat to them. I mean, I think they they fear. Um, you know, they they took the Panchen Lama because I think they fear a a true and independent Panchen Lama. I think they they fear Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, I think they're afraid um, and. Um, you know, because I think they're so used to controlling uh, everything. Uh, but uh, but that paranoia is a sign of weakness. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and and it really is, like, you know, in the case of the Pancho Lama, I mean, he, he was, uh, um, you know, um, six years old when he was kidnapped. 
uh, six years old. Now, as you know, the Chinese government right now is trying to in, 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 in inject itself in the whole reincarnation process and basically say that we as the government can pick the next Dalai Lama. I, I, it is so absurd, you know, that it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. Um, and uh, but I think I think the Chinese government is, is, is fearful and paranoid. And and really, I, 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 I always have a tough time trying to understand why. Maybe they think, you know, that it's to be that will unravel the tight control that they have over the people uh, that they um, the, in, in, in China. But I it, it's it's a tragedy. And um, and it's important that we all I mean, not just the United States, but our, our friends in Europe and all around the world, uh, you know, stand up on behalf of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who is a good, decent, honorable man. When I was in China, I told everybody I met with that he's a, I consider him a friend and somebody that I, I revere and respect. Uh, but um, but the Chinese government, you know, should release the Pancho Lama. Uh, I don't even know if he's where he is. We don't, we, no one's seen him. We don't know whether he's alive. We don't know whether he's in prison. We don't know. All we have is the Chinese government's wor, wor, so-called word that he's fine. Um, it, it, it really it, it, it's an example of incredible cruelty. As you acknowledge, China have clearly sought to keep the Panchen Lama out of the public eye to ensure they can control the succession and reincarnation of the Dalai Lama and have a firmer grip of control over the Tibetan Buddhist community. What can be done here? Because as it stands, China is ultimately going to be successful in their attempts to do that, given that the Dalai Lama, for religious reasons, is reluctant to just name another Panchen Lama. So as it stands, China's going to be successful in their mission to take control of this community. What can be done to prevent that from happening? Well, one is, is I don't think the Tibetan community is going to allow China to uh, take control over, uh, you know, their, 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 their minds and their, and their faith. And um, I mean, I... China will try, but they will not be successful. Um, China has tried for many, many years, and yet the Tibetan community is still vibrant. Uh, those who are within the borders of China suffer greatly. Uh, they're being persecuted uh, greatly, which is very, very sad. But look, um, I think what, what, what happened, you know, one of, one of the, uh, one of my frustrations over the years has been that, uh, and I include the United States um, in this category, under Republican and Democratic administrations, <clears throat> that we, you know, um, and other countries, you know, will, you know, will stand for a photo op with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and say that, oh, we, we believe you should have the freedom to practice your religion and to be able to live your life along with your people, you know, and the Tibetan traditions, uh, traditions of Tibetan Buddhism, and then that's it. I mean, I mean, there's, there's been no consequence for China. Uh, consistently trying to, you know, eviscerate the Tibet, Tibet culture. Uh, we have passed some legislation in, in Congress to change that, to, to impose some consequences. Uh, we ought to make sure that there are consequences if China chooses to inter, uh, inject itself uh, in the reincarnation process. I helped pass a bill called the Global Magnitsky Act. Uh, we ought to, uh, we, ought, we ought to impose consequences on those individual Chinese officials who are responsible for this abuse of policy against the Tibetan people. <clears throat> it's not blanket sanctions against the Chinese people. It's targeted at individuals. Um, you know, we ought to say to China, we're not going to allow you to open up any more consulates 
in the, uh, in the United States unless you allow us to open one up in Lhasa. Um, you know, I mean, there are things like that that we can do, and not just us, but other countries around the world. We need to put some teeth uh, into our uh, policy with regard to Tibet. We need there needs to be a consequence uh, to China, the Chinese government, for every time that they try to uh, basically eliminate uh, the Tibetan culture. Uh, so, you know, we have passed legislation in Congress. Um, you know, we want we 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 want the administration. Uh, to use the tools that they already have available uh, to uh, to uh, impose um, sanctions against Chinese government officials. They haven't done that. We passed a bill called the Tibetan Reciprocity Act. Basically says that, you know, to the Chinese government, we're going to treat you like you treat us. You know, I, I, I was able to go to Tibet several years ago, uh, but we were like the first delegation from Congress in like 10 years that was allowed in. Journalists can't go to Tibet um, freely. Um, the Chinese government basically holds people back. Well, we're saying, okay, well, if that's the case, we will treat you the same way. So when your officials come to the United States, you can't go anywhere you want. We're going to say where you can go. So this, this issue of reciprocity, I think, is, uh, is an important principle uh, in dealing with other countries. But there needs to be consequences, and that's what we're trying to, we're trying to enshrine in the law. Buddhists in Tibet aren't the only religious group who've been persecuted by China. Uyghur Muslims in China have been rounded up and put in quote-unquote re-education camps, which some have likened to essentially concentration camp. No one can really see what those camps are truly like and the conditions within them, and many believe that they're not humane conditions that, that are going on there. Why has the international community allowed the Chinese government to proceed with this crackdown and persecution of a religious minority? It's shameful that uh, there haven't been stronger consequences. Uh, I mean, look, uh, I think what the Chinese government is doing uh, against the Uyghurs is, is tantamount to crimes against humanity. Um, you know, I co-chaired the China Commission. We, we did a report, uh, basically, that... Uh, the details of the oppression against the Uyghurs. Um, and again, I mean, you know, it, it would be nice if we had a president of the United States that cared about human rights and that was, you know, would utilize the tools that he already has uh, to respond uh, to the Chinese authorities who are responsible for that policy. Um, but he's not. So Congress needs to continue to try to pass legislation to force the issue. The other thing is, um, you know, I think a lot of people in this administration uh, you know, are, are, again, I will turn a blind eye to um, human rights abuses, whether against the Uyghurs or the Tibetans or against the people in Hong Kong, because they're interested in business deals at any cost. And so we're also working on legislation to hold our business community accountable. Uh, and we uh, and and um, and we need to put more of a burden on U.S. businesses and other businesses outside of China to you know to make sure that uh, whatever they're producing that, uh, you know, that that it is in no way, shape or form tied to any of the forced labor uh, that we see in places like Xinjiang, for example. Uh, and um, so we need to turn the heat up on our business community with regard to that. But again, it's terrible. I mean, it's terrible. And I think, you know, I, and, and again, I, I, you know, when the world is silent, the world is complicit in this. Uh, again, it's not enough to simply say, oh, it's 
too bad what's happening to the Uyghurs, it's wrong, or issue a press statement or do a tweet or, you know, say, oh, what's happening to the Tibetans is terrible or what's happening to the, uh, to the uh, you know, p people in Hong Kong is terrible. The, words are cheap. Words don't, words clearly do not impress the Chinese government. Uh, and I think we're at a point now where if human rights matters, that we need to we need to replace our words with concrete actions. Again, I want a good relationship with China. China is an important country in the world, has a, an incredible culture and history. The Chinese people are incredible, um, but we cannot sit by, uh, uh, you know, uh, silently, or or sit by in a way that's passive uh, while these terrible human rights atrocities continue. You mentioned Hong Kong in the answer there. Do you think that what's happening in Hong Kong, what's happened to the Uyghurs, what's happening in Tibet, are all because the international community is just not doing enough to punish China and those responsible in China for these actions? And for that reason, China just believes that it can act with impunity because it's not going to face significant repercussions that discourage its actions. I think China thinks they can do whatever they want to do, be as oppressive as they want to be, and the worst that will happen to them is that various governments might issue a press statement saying, you know, uh, what's happening in China is unfortunate. Uh, and then they expect us to all move on. Uh, and, um, you know, and I, and, I, and I hope that China is not proven right. Uh, again, it is important that, uh, you know, governments around the world that say they care about human rights actually stand up for the people of Hong Kong who are bravely uh, protesting, you know, that China abide by what it agreed to in the, uh, you know, two-state, uh, you know, uh, two-system, one-state solution. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I mean, what, what, the people, what the people of Hong Kong want is what China agreed to. Um, there's nothing radical about what, what they're asking for. Um, and, um, you know, and again, I, I think that, uh, you know, that I, I've never seen um, a protest movement as inspiring as what I've seen uh, in Hong Kong. Um, young people and old people and everybody in between uh, organizing protests in, in, su in such a, in a peaceful manner. Um, you know, even um, apologizing to people when their protests inconvenience them and uh, helping to raise awareness around the world. It's, it's just been unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, I'm in awe of, uh, of what they're doing. And again, they're not asking for independence from China. Uh, I mean, they, they understand what, what was agreed to, uh, but they want China to respect their autonomy um, and uh, to not crack down on their civil liberties uh, and on their democratic rights, and they want to have some say uh, in who governs them in Hong Kong. I mean, it, it is again, um, it, it, it is it is what they're asking for is reasonable and rational. And if, if the world community, you know, again, um, allows China to continue its crackdown uh, and to basically uh, go back on its word. Uh, then, you know, Hong Kong won't be the last place that China tries to uh, flex its re re repressive muscle. Um, and again, what does that say about us um, to just stand by and, and allow, to, allow this to happen? We just can't. And that's why, I mean, in Congress, you know, we, we, we're working in a bipartisan way. Marco Rubio, 
uh, is my co-chair on the um, China Commission. Marco Rubio is a conservative Republican. I'm a liberal Democrat. Marco and I probably can't even agree on what to have for lunch, but we've come together, you know, um, and, and we've unified on these issues of human rights. It's important because I think, you know, whether you're a Democrat, or Republican, or liberal or conservative, I mean, we ought to all agree that human rights should not be a partisan political issue. It ought to be something that is a defining issue, that is something that we all can come together on. Another country where there have been significant concerns about human rights abuses against Muslims. In Myanmar, Aung San Suu Kyi was once a figure who was a freedom fighter seeking to challenge the political system in her country and secure a democracy for her people. She even won the 1991 Nobel Peace Prize. But since assuming office in 2016, she stood by while Rohingya Muslims are persecuted and murdered in her country, with some reports even calling it a genocide. Do you think that she should be stripped of her Nobel Peace Prize? And what other actions could the US and international bodies take against that country? No, I, I do. I mean, her... Uh, she, she has her, her leadership, her lack of leadership, um, and her covering up for what I think has been accurately described as genocide is disgraceful, is shameful, um, and um, and and you know, I mean, she is responsible. She is just as responsible uh, as anybody else in that country, uh, and um, and so I mean. Again, I, I think, you know, we need to figure out ways to, uh, you know, to, to sanction individuals who are responsible for uh, many of these atrocities. I, I think she should be stripped of her Nobel Prize. And, and she received the Congressional Medal as well. I mean, when um, I, I'm, I want it back. I mean, she's terrible. Uh, it's a disgrace what's going on. Um, it's a moral outrage. Um, and, um, you know, and, you know, if, if, if they, if they want to come into the world community and they want to deal with us economically, um, and work with us, then, uh, we need to get assurances that in fact, uh, these human rights abuses are going to stop. Um, but I, you know, I mean, we have, it, it, it has been a real disappointment, um, to see how the human rights situation has deteriorated there. How do you believe a figure such as Aung San Suu Kyi goes from being so fated around the world, receiving awards for her work, to a pariah who's allowed these sort of actions to happen in her country? What do you think went wrong there between someone who was fighting for peace and someone who's now letting this happen? Well, she, she lost her soul along the way and um, I mean maybe she feels you know incredible pressure from the security forces and I mean people have said to me well you know if she pushes too hard then she'll be in jail you know and she spent a lot of time under house arrest for a long you know for and you know that's when we all we, we were advocates for her release um, and we were hopeful when she became uh, when she rose to the position she has now that she would you know given her history would be a champion for the rights of all people um, but you know what? Um, uh, you know, and I know it's easy for me to say because uh, you know, um, you know, I can speak my mind and and not be thrown into jail uh, for, for for doing that. 
But the deal is, if you, if you want to be the leader of your country, um, then you have to lead. Um, and if, you know, and, and I don't know what the consequences will be if she did the right thing. But boy, you know, I, I think the, the world community would have, would have rallied around her, um, you know, if she stood up for human rights uh, for the Rohingya. And for all, and by the way, they're not the only people that are being oppressed. But she didn't. Um, and not only did she not stand up for them, she actually, you know, put forward the lies and the misinformation that were coming from the security forces there. And so I, I just, you know, I mean, look, um, I think the whole world is disappointed uh, uh, with her. And um, and again, I think she's a disgrace. I, I don't, you know. I remember when she first came to power. She came to to Congress, and we welcomed her. and And I, she said all the right things, and she, you know, ended up doing all the wrong things. And it just, uh, it's a moral outrage. Do you believe that for what's gone on in Myanmar and Sang Suu Kyi, or members of her government, her political party, should face charges at the International Criminal Court for what's happened to the Rohingya Muslims? Yeah, that, I mean that's a difficult question. I, you know, I, I, I don't believe she's ordering what's, you know, what's happening. I think she is complicit, um, and, um, but I, but I, I, you know, but like I said, I mean, I, I don't believe that she's entitled to a Nobel Peace Prize. I don't believe she's entitled to any praise. I mean, what she, what she has turned a blind eye to, is, um, it's just unforgivable. Um, and, um, but I, 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 I really, I haven't thought about the question you asked, but I, but I think, I think what she has done is, is unforgivable. Finally, looking to the future, we've obviously talked about some awful instances of human rights violations across the world, but there has to be some hope out there. And with that in mind, when it comes to human rights, what do you hope for in the future and what you see on the horizon when it comes to human rights? What are you hoping will be the situation we're at after 2020, after 2024, once the Trump administration is out of office? Well, I, I hope that happens sooner rather than later, because I think that in and of itself will make a big difference uh, in terms of uh, raising the issue of human rights around the world in a more effective and in a more consistent way. But you know, I'm, I'm guess what gives me hope um, are, the, are the are the men and women I've met and have, I've talked to who are on the front lines, who, who are literally risking their lives uh, on behalf of human rights. I mean, I, I you know, I, we, we talked about Hong Kong. These you know, these young teenagers um, and you know, young adults that are you know, incredibly courageous and defiant because they know they're what they're doing is absolutely right. Um, you know, the the Tibetans that just you know you know, won't be repressed, uh, that find ways to practice the Tibetan Buddhism, you know, even in spite of the terrible, you know, uh, watchful eye of the, of the Chinese government. Um, you know, the, um, you know, the people, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, in, in, um, in Colombia who, you know, who have suffered so much as a result of the civil conflict there, you know, who are still struggling to make it to, who struggle to get a peace accord, but now want the government to implement that peace accord. I mean, the, 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 there's goodness in this world, and you know, and I think, you know, and and as, as as hard as you know, some of these dictators and authoritarian rulers are trying to stamp it out, uh, 
they can't, right? I mean, uh, and eventually, I believe that goodness will prevail. I, I believe that, I believe that the Tibetans ultimately will prevail. I believe that the, the protesters in Hong Kong will prevail. I believe, I believe in a better future. Um, I just want to hurry that future, that better future, uh, along here. And um, and so I think that's what, um, you know, that's why I focus a lot of my attention on this work. Representative Jim McGovern, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. That was Representative Jim McGovern, the chair of the House Rules Committee, co-chair of the Congressional Executive Commission on China, and the co-chair of the Tom Lentos Human Rights Commission. You can find out more about him on Twitter at Rep McGovern and at mcgovern.house.gov. That's all for today's episode. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Or recommend this podcast by submitting a review online and sharing it with friends and family. Until next time, goodbye.